Well, good morning, Cornerstone. How are you? <laughs> My name is Mike Steinwinder. I am one of the pastors and elders here at Cornerstone, and it is a true blessing to um, actually bring you God's word today. Um, as Christian mentioned last week, um, Todd is kind of ending his sabbatical. We're kind of excited to have him back. I'm excited. I kind of miss the guy. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it is a blessing just to, 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 to know the rest of the other elders and the men that have had an opportunity to come up and, and speak to you. It's, for, for, I know for all of them, it's been a true blessing uh, the last uh, couple months. But anyway, so we are continuing our series in the apprenting. Uh, it's my turn. I got to be up on these slides, don't I? <clears throat> and they're out of order. Anyway. Um, as well, technical difficulty here. But anyway, um, we're continuing our series and apprenticing with Jesus and have been working through the book of Matthew. Um, we've actually been in chapter 13 and we're kind of getting to the point where we're going to be ending that. Um, but here we've been introduced to Jesus, a couple of his new teaching styles or a different type of teaching style where he's actually telling stories. <laughs> they're called parables and they're just a simple story that's used by Jesus to illustrate meaning, right? Or, or to his meaning and for, to help us understand spiritual truth by telling us something from an everyday situation. And in the case of a, one of the couple of the parables here, it's giving us an example um, in the garden and giving us an example from the kitchen. This is one of many ways that Jesus actually taught. Um, he uses teaching to communicate his message in a way that connected his learners and his hearers. He didn't teach to just impart information. He taught so lives were transformed. <clears throat> and in our case, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we've been transformed ourselves. And part of that transformation is that we would be ones that now would share the good news with others and display how he changed us, right? How he transformed us so that we would be able to tell others about him and that they would be transformed and they would also in turn share the good news. That's kind of our mission statement that you see. Our mission statement is to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Christ. Also, that's out of order again. <laughs> I have to try to find that. We're going to be, um, so, and part of that too is Cornerstone, and I, and I have a slide, but it's not there. Cornerstone is, if you guys know us, we're a multi-ethnic, a multi-generational community of disciples who are seeking to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to help others to do the same. That's that transformation that we're talking about. <clears throat> we want to see the leaders, the elders, the pastors, everyone at Cornerstone wants to see lives transformed, right? And then we want to watch those transformed lives be put into practice. And that's being what we call a fully devoted follower of Christ. So this week, we're going to continue our teaching in the kingdom parables with specifically two sets of parables. The first set, the mustard seed and the leaven, contrasts the small beginnings with their great effects emphasizing the power of God in action. And these are addressed to the crowds. The second set, the hidden treasure and the pearl, have to do with objects of great value. 
and that they spark this commitment, right? And, but in God, and Jesus is speaking to the disciples in this. He's not addressing the crowds in this. He's addressing his disciples. So we're going to jump around to a few different places in Scripture. Today it will be Matthew 13, 31 through 34, and will also be 44 through 46. So if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are now walking forward. Uh, raise your hand. They'll get one to you. If you don't have one, please accept this Bible as a, as a gift from us. We'd love to, for you to have that. So let's go ahead and read um, the scripture together. You guys, if you're able, could you please stand with me as I read God's word? He put another parable in front of them, before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Continue on, and I'll just read. <laughs> the slides aren't there. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. And drop down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he um, had and bought it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for um, your word and who you are, Lord. I pray, Father, this morning that you open eyes and you open up ears to hear what you want your body to hear, Father. I pray that you soften hearts, Lord, that may be hardened and those that may not know you well, Father. I pray through this time of teaching, Father, that they understand who you are, Father, and that they yearn to one day know you the way that we know you, Father. So thank you for just the blessing of the body here, Father. Thank you um, for all that you do for us. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the parables are part... <laughs> all right. Um, these parables are part of a collection of the kingdom parables. And so Jesus is really telling one big story or one big theme and smaller stories. The mustard seed and the leaven illustrate the smallest of the kingdom in its beginning, but it will grow and spread and eventually encompass everything. Although there's good growth in that, that growth comes with challenges and comes with op opposition. These first two parables illustrate the growth and spreading influence of the church. The mustard seed is about outward growth. From a small beginning, the kingdom experiences unusual growth. The leaven is about inward growth. The leaven makes dough rise and from within, and it's a picture of how the gospel changes our hearts and then works in a way that puts us into action. The treasure and the pearl illustrate this great cost, right, of participating in God's kingdom. But for those who recognize the surpassing or great value of the kingdom, they are more than willing and even joyful to pay the cost to obtain it. The second two parables illustrate some seek the kingdom, right? As we see in the merchant, 
why others seem to just stumble upon it, like we see in the man in the field. Both respond the same way, with joy and willingness to sell all that they have to, great, to gain this great treasure that they found. You see, back in chapters four and seven, or four and through seven, we see Matthew introducing the kingdom of God. In chapters eight through 10, we see Jesus, Jesus bringing the kingdom to people's lives. And then in 11 through 13, we see how Matthew has collected a group of stories about how people respond to Jesus. Some are positive as we see people accept Jesus, right? They say Jesus is the Messiah, they acknowledge that. Some are more neutral as we see in John the Baptist, right? Where he says, is he really the Messiah? He's, there's a question there, so he's neutral to whether Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. And some are entirely negative as we see in the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He is not the Messiah to them. They're claiming he's a blasphemer, that he's evil. Um, and he's, he's doing things under the devil. <clears throat> but you know, Jesus isn't surprised by this uh, at all. These diverse responses that he sees. In fact, he actually addresses this in chapter 13. At this point, some are, address, are accepting Jesus with enthusiasm. Others are rejecting him, but in God's kingdom is, is of great value and will not stop spreading despite all the challenges, right? And obstacles that they face. So we're going to go ahead and jump into these parables. So we're going to start with the parable of growth, and that's 1331 through 32. And are we going to put that on the screen? We are going to put that on the screen. All right. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest, right, of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. You see, the mustard seed is tiny, right? It's one of the tiniest in, in, uh, seeds of all. Jesus said, but when, it, when it's grown, it grows greater than the herbs, right? The use of this small seed example shows us the parable is offering us hope, promising great outcomes from just small things, right? So you have to remember that Jesus and his disciples at this time faced daunting odds, right? There was a lot of opposition to Jesus and the message that he brought. Israel at that point was looking for a different Messiah, right? They were looking for a king that would bring um, his kingdom to bear and conquer, right? To um, defeat the Roman Empire. That's not the kingdom that Jesus was teaching about. The point of the parable lies in the contrast, right, between the size of the seed and the plant that's grown. The kingdom of God seems small and significant at first, but it grows to this extensive, um, growth is extensive and becomes a mighty kingdom. Let's, yes, the beginnings look small and were small, and yes, they encountered opposition at every turn, but we see what in 1 Corinthians 1.27? We see that God knows what he's doing. So you guys are going to get there. First Corinthians 1.27 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The point Paul's making here is that we, we can't overlook what God's plan is, right? It's happening, right? We, in the beginning, God knew exactly what he's doing. So this tiny seed, right, as Jesus says, becomes a tree so that the birds in the air come and lodge in its branches. 
this shrub or bush, right, that grows from this tiny seed is, is a great comparison um, from what its beginnings, right? It's beginning, it's was small, and now it's going to grow into what Jesus calls himself a tree. The mustard shrub normally grows to about 8 to 10, or 8 to 12 feet, and really can be not compared to a great tree as being described. Many, even most, regard this picture, right, this beautiful picture of this church growing so large that it provides refuge for all the world. This language suggests that Jesus is thinking of the Old Testament use of the tree as an image, right, for the great empire that we see in Ezekiel and 17 and 31 and also in Daniel 4. From the passage also comes the picture of these birds, right, in its branches. Here the birds represent the nations gathered under the protection of the great empire. Um, but here, why would Jesus not compare the kingdom to, um, uh, to the kingdom of heaven to a great tree instead of a shrub? If he's contrasting a small seed with a great tree, why would he not pick this magnificent tree like the, the great mighty cedars of Lebanon? Ask that question. I found in one commentary, and the commentator writes this. He says, perhaps, let me... Perhaps the best clue comes from the church that has been developed over the centuries. The church is indeed a far cry from its beginning, extending into every nation on the face of the earth. It has grand cathedrals and occasionally wields power, but for the most part, the church manifests itself in modest ways. He goes on and says, more like a mustard shrub than a towering cedar. Perhaps the lesson, and, and this is what caught me here, is perhaps the lesson of the mustard shrub is that Christians should live expectantly, right? Knowing that God brings great things out of small, um, out of small beginnings, that we should not expect the kingdom to be great as the world counts it, right? As the world sees greatness. Sounds familiar to what Jesus was teaching. He wasn't teaching this is a kingdom of greatness of the world. He's teaching that it's a kingdom, of, that is not of this world. We even see that in uh, John 18, 36, where Jesus says, and he's answering Pilate's question, my kingdom is not of this world. We see this parable in the, that the mustard seed represents a kingdom of heaven, heaven starting very small and gradually growing to something extensive. And that that's, would be the great kingdom. Why would anyone deny that, right? We see the kingdom unfolding before our very eyes every day. Simply look at what's happened over the last 2,000 years. Look at the places where the gospel is being shared today. Look at the number of people that are accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior and, in, and being transformed, as I mentioned, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's happening all around the world. The kingdom of heaven has had abnormal growth, right, from a very small beginning. It started in a manger. It spread to 12 apostles, and then from there, it spread all around the world. So now we're going to carry on with and move on to uh, uh, the next uh, parable. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like that, of a, uh, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. As we see, um, I mean, this is a short parable, right? But it's very powerful, and you'll see that power in just a minute. As we've seen, the mustard seed emphasizes growth, while leaven or yeast suggests 
permeation and transformation. It's the act of spreading through something and becoming present in every part of it. In spite of small beginnings, the kingdom of heaven will spread and transform the world. It's going to continually to grow and grow and grow. Like the mustard seed leaven, yeast again, holds great potential or great power in its tiny proportion. You just add a little bit of yeast to flour and it begins to grow into this lump of dough. And I remember when my mom was making bread. I just, she'd have just a little handful of yeast, right? Add some flour to it, put it in a bowl, mix it up with probably some other ingredients that I don't know about. She'd cover it and then a little bit later, all of a sudden you see this thing grow into this mound and the towel would be, it would be like a balloon growing. So back in the day, right, women would keep a lump, right, a small portion of that, of that leavened dough, and that portion would be saved, right, and then added to the next batch of flour to make new dough. And that's the point I'm making about this, this leaven in this parable is that this, 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 this shows this continuous growth that you take and you add and you add and you add, and it's just showing this, this great growth of God's kingdom. Um, and then when you look back at which a woman hid in three measures of meal until it was leavened, three measures of flour is an unusual amount of dough for any one particular meal, especially in Palestine. This, this amount would make about 40 to 60 loaves of bread. Bread enough to feed hundreds of people. So there again, there's the example. They're not talking about just one loaf of bread. They're talking about this unusual growth that we see. Although this is uncommon for an unusual amount of dough used for any one meal, referring back to the smallness, right, again, of the beginning of the kingdom, that again, as I just said, will grow into something much larger, a much larger kingdom. Many, if not most scholars regarding the leavening process see this as this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God um, working and growing throughout the world. This parable should encourage us into action, to be one that's involved bringing the kingdom of God to others and one that's involved to help grow the kingdom. You see, leaven can only be, do its work when it's mixed with flour, right? Leavening the raw dough. Otherwise, it's kind of useless. If you just take the leaven on its own, it's useless. It can't do anything. It just sits there. Same for the believer in the church. If we're not actively making disciples and sharing the gospel, growth church stops, right? That's why there's a call to action in that. We are commanded to go and make disciples as we see in Matthew, go back one, as we see in Matthew um, 28, 19, and 20. And you guys have seen this a number of times um, up on the screen. We've used it in our discipleship pathway. We've talked about it extensively. But what it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. There are some that claim that this use of leaven, I'm going to go back to the parable, is negative. And that's used as a picture of evil or impurity. And we see that in Matthew 6 and 1 Corinthians 5. The Jewish people at the time, if you remember back in Exodus, they were required to remove all the leaven from their homes in preparation for the Passover. But I wanted to show you, um, let me take you to Matthew 16, 6. The blanks are, give me there. Jesus said to them, watch 
and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I, although there is a negativeness to that, I don't think Jesus is using it that way. What he's talking about is the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that time. He's not talking about growth. And even in, um, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through 8, it says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, but leaven of malice, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there is a negative part, portion to that. If you look at a lot of the commentators, the commentators are saying, this, is, a, this is, a, is an example of negative growth. Of I'm not seeing it that way. In this parable, I believe Jesus has used a positive reference, likely to startle his listeners. Remember, what he's talking about is uncommon, right? As people don't understand or they refuse to hear, their hearts are hardened. But when he makes a statement like that, it startles them to think, whoa, what, is he, what do you mean? Leaven's bad, but Jesus is trying to use it as good. If you look at the context of Scripture, the parable before speaks positive growth. And the parable after speaks of finding a treasure that is of extreme value. I believe that this is, his use of leaven is a, in this parable is not intended to be negative. Otherwise, he probably would have said so. The use of, the, um, of this is positive, representing an example of great growth in the kingdom. Let me move on to the next parable. All these things, and this is uh, 34 through 35, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. And I believe Christian had, had, has talked about this, uh, um, you know, that hidden mystery previously. But I want to point us back to why this particular text. This text was inserted by Matthew in an attempt to point out that Jesus was the Messiah spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. He's actually quoting from Psalm 78 too. So remember back in chapter 12 when I said, we see this increased opposition from the Jewish leaders on what Jesus was teaching. He'd been healing, he'd been giving them a thought, theology, he'd been telling them old Bible stories, and they continued to challenge him at every turn. So verse 35 is important part of Jesus' ministry because the prophets spoke about him. Matthew's saying, they spoke about him. And he's there now fulfilling, right, those prophecies. So Jesus knew that some would reject him regardless whether they knew the prophets, what the prophets said about him or not. Their hearts had been hardened. They were not going to change, and they were not going to accept who he was. These people should have known, right, the, the, the Israelite people, because of the prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to him. They learned long ago that the Messiah from their, about the Messiah from their fathers, their grandfathers, and their great-grandfathers. They simply chose to harden their heart and, and not believe that he was the Messiah. This is a turning point in Jesus' ministry So, because in the rest of the chapter 13, he stops teaching the crowds. He starts teach, teaching specifically to the disciples. As we've seen in the past two parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl, are both parables of discovery, great joy, and of action. The merchant is actively, look, or is actively looking for pearls while the other man simply just stumbles on the treasure. 
Both, however, recognize the overwhelming value of their discovery. They sell everything to own it in order to, that they own in order to actually buy it. Neither man is, man is sad about it. They're not sad about having to sell everything because they're the great joy they found in this pressure, precious treasure. These men are kind of similar to the apostles who left everything to follow, follow Jesus. We've, we've learned before in Matthew 4 and also in Matthew 19. Like Paul, who regarded all the loss for the excellency, excellency of knowing Christ Jesus in Philippians 3.8. So we'll move on to the chapter uh, 2, the next parable. And this is the kingdom, um, the parable of the hidden treasure and the joy of discovery. The kingdom of heaven is like a, is a, like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You see, it was not, unco it was not uncommon at that time for people to bury their treasures. Their most cherished belongings, they wouldn't keep on themselves. They would actually put it in a jar or bury it in the ground. There was no banks. There was no safety deposit boxes. And all, all one could do at that time was to hide that treasure or that valuable thing underground. And we see that because archaeologists have often found jars of gold coins and jewels and pearls buried in fields. They come across this quite often. In the parable of the talents, we also see, right, this worthless servant is seen hiding the talent in the ground, lest he should lose it. And that was in Matthew 25. At the start of this story, the treasure is not in plain sight, but hidden. That tells you something about the kingdom. The value of the kingdom is not obvious um, to people at first. They hear about Jesus. They don't realize how important and how essential that Jesus and God is in their lives. And so they continue day by day, week by week, year by year, without submitting to God's rule. Most likely this man, we're talking about the man that which found the, the treasure and covered it up. Most likely this man simply stumbled upon it unexpectedly while he's about his daily business. He could have been a worker on a farm, working for the farmer whose plow actually dug up the treasure. But his actions to cover it up and then sell everything in order to purchase it shows what he found was worth any sacrifice to obtain it. See, joy is, a is an important part of this story. The man's not upset that he's had to go sell all his positions or possessions. He did so at sheer joy of discovering the treasure. He does it because he wants to. He does it because he's glad to. He's so overjoyed and willing to do anything to buy this treasure that he found. There are two views related to finding something under, under, under rabbinic law. One claims is that if you find something, it belongs to the finder. The second one is, if the workman found a treasure in a field and lifted it out, it would belong to the master, the field's owner. In this particular case, the man finds this treasure, but he's very careful to not lift it up, and he covers it up until he's able to actually buy the field. The treasure this man found was first unlike, highly unlikely, right? And secondly, was so precious to him that he had to have it. He counted all the cost and decided that all that he had was far less valuable than having the precious treasure that he found. And that treasure is the kingdom of God. In D.A. Carson's commentary, he says this, 
Finding the treasure appears to be by chance, and a land as frequently ravaged as Palestine. Many people buried their treasures, but to actually find a treasure would happen once in a thousand lifetimes. Thus, the extravagance of the parable dramatizes the supreme importance of the kingdom. You see that it's, it is so important and so valuable to him. Jesus is making a simple point. He's saying the kingdom is worth all we possess. Despite its small beginning and great cost, it's worth all we have. The value of the treasure justifies the sacrifice of everything to possess a place in God's kingdom. In Philippians uh, 3.8, we see Paul make this statement. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the suppressing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's a lot to give up. Let's move on to the next parable. And that's 44, uh, excuse me, 45 and 46, the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. In this parable, we see the kingdom of heaven compared to a pearl of great value. In the ancient world, pearls would, be, would have a very special place in man's hearts and were highly prized. The best pearls were worth extraordinary, extraordinary sums of money. People desired to possess pearls not only for its monetary value, but for its beauty. They found pleasure in simply handling it, right, and in contemplating about it, about thinking about, oh my gosh, I have this precious pearl. The main source of pearls in those days were the shores of the Red Sea and far off Britain. So merchants, as we met, as mentioned in this parable, would have to scour the markets of the world to find a pearl which was of surpassing beauty. Had to search for it. So the, the, it's not something that he would just stumble along. Jesus is using this example of the pearl so that it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's so beautiful, so desirable to show us the kingdom of heaven is of the greatest value to us. Man can find a value in knowledge. Man can find value in, or in art, in music, in literature, just to mention a few. But these are all things, all these things of value, right, are lesser in value than the kingdom of God. And that's the point. We find in, in this parable a similar point as the previous one, but with kind of a difference. The man who's digging in the field was not searching for treasure. He came upon it. And he was unaware of it. The man who was searching for pearls was spending his life searching for them. And, and that's what he did every single day. But no matter whether the discovery was a result of a moment in time or the result of a lifetime search, the reaction was the same for both men. Everything had to be sold and sacrificed to, great, to gain that precious pearl or treasure. Once again, we're left with the same truth that however a man discovers the will of God for himself, whether it be a lightning flash of a moment of um, or at the end of a long and conscious search, it's worth everything to have. So here's the application. Jesus is calling us into action to go make disciples. He's told us how the kingdom grows. Even though it comes from small beginnings and continues to grow, it does so by our involvement. Just as yeast is added to flour and brings back growth, 
We are the catalyst that spreads the good news, bringing growth to the kingdom of heaven. We are called to make disciples. Listen to that. We are called to make disciples. It's plural. It's not singular. Not one, but many. And when we make a disciple, we're to make another and another and another. And you've heard us talk many times about this replication. Jesus wants us, another application, to see the kingdom of heaven as the greatest treasure and possession we could ever have. Jesus wants us to see the kingdom of heaven as a treasure so valuable to us that we would do anything to obtain it. And Jesus wants the kingdom of heaven for us to see it as the treasure so valuable to us that we would show and tell everyone about it. That precious pearl, we will talk about it. We will show people what the kingdom of heaven and who Jesus is and how, what they've done, what he's done for us. So talk about a call to action. He's not calling us to be a lump of leaven that's just sitting on the counter waiting to be used. He's calling us to get involved, to make a difference, to help grow the kingdom. If you need, um, so, so if you need prayer, there'll be folks up here at the prayer room to pray for you. If you're new or you're first time visiting Cornerstone, please don't leave here today without knowing who Jesus is. So as the band comes up and leads us to one, in one last song, I want you to consider and ask yourself these questions. After thinking about the application, about how Jesus wants us to act and be inside of this world to spread his kingdom, um, I have some questions for you. So as the band is getting ready to come up, I'm going to ask you these questions, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about in light of the growth, right, from a mustard seed to a tree, and in light of the growth of this small amount of yeast to a very large amount of dough, I want you to think about these questions. First, are you one that has joined the church and helps grow it, helps, flir helps, it, flir or helps it flourish? Two, are you a disciple maker that's making disciples? Or are you like leaven on its own, just sitting on the counter and is useless? Three, third question for you to, to consider. Have you found that precious pearl? If so, are you willing to obtain it at all cost? If not, what's keeping you from knowing who Jesus is and seeing that great value that I described of the treasure that he offers? Amen.